0: Wow, it feels like the midterms happened decades ago, considering all the blockbuster news that broke yesterday. When are journalists going to wake up and realize that they are not the story? They are not the center stage spotlight. They are supposed to be wallpaper. A journalist's job is to stay invisible, report the facts. Instead, they insist on stealing the spotlight from President Trump editorializing and then reporting everything but the facts. Now, here's the first thing to realize about Jim Acosta from CNN who ambushed President Trump. That's what he did, and now he's been banned from the White House, and the entire media is outraged. that Trump has declared war on the country. This is how they view themselves. Now, Jim Acosta planned this ambush. Don't think this was off the cuff. He clearly baited Trump into attacking him. He wanted to boost CNN's ratings. He wanted to have this PR stunt and boost his own visibility. Oh, and by the way, they love making Trump look like a bad guy. So this was an absolutely planned, conspired, colluded effort. Now, this is also a total embarrassment. I mean, it's cringeworthy how this Jim Acosta, you know, he acted basically like a child, brick bickering with the president of the United States. So journalists are defending him. And if I'm a journalist, I'd be so embarrassed to be part of his club. I'd be calling for him to resign. So he's banned from the White House. The media says that the entire country is under attack because without the media having access to the White House, the country is going to completely crumble and fall apart. This is you know, what their egos, the narrative that their egos tell them. They're so obsessed with themselves. You do not have a constitutional right to be in the White House. In fact, the country will be better off with Jim Acosta and CNN staying far away from the White House because all that does is give them a platform to spread their fake news. You know, meanwhile... The the laughable part of this is they're saying that Trump restricts the media. They have more access to Trump than they ever did to another president. He held a press conference yesterday. This was an epic press conference. He took 68 questions from 35 reporters, reporters from all across the spectrum, many liberal left-wing reporters, uh, close to an hour and a half on this press conference, and yet he restricts media access. And by the way, he has a personal cell phone that they can spy on if they want, like China. Now, meanwhile, Jim Acosta, we're going to read you the transcript later, and I'm going to go through a lot of the details of the press conference that are being ignored, that have nothing to do with this one kind of highlight that happened, this this, this conflict between uh, Acosta and Trump. But Acosta, he refused to give up the microphone. He had asked two questions, which was more than most of the, the reporters. Others are waiting in line. And he said, I, I, I want to ask a question. And, and Trump said, you're done. Sit down. You're done. Give the mic away. And he refused to to give up the mic. Now, there was an intern there who was trying to take the mic. The intern's job was to pass the mic from reporter to reporter, and the intern got all flustered. I mean, what an unbelievably high-pressure situation where Trump is saying, give up the mic. He refuses to give up the mic, and the media is reporting that this intern somehow uh, assaulted this Acosta and uh, was trying to grab the mic away from him. It's the opposite. There, the intern was just trying to take the mic and do their job, and Acosta literally stood there holding it, refusing to let it be taken out of his hand. You know, amazing. Not not to mention the kind of nerves at, at that moment, the young intern in the White House. But, of course, the media is reporting a totally false narrative. All right. In other news, before we get back to this, Jeff Sessions has resigned No surprise there. I'm surprised it took him so many hours following election day. It didn't happen at midnight. But there's much bigger news, which, you know, some people are saying, well, Sessions, you know, he wasn't really the attorney general very much to begin with. Of course, he did a lot of things domestically, totally stayed out of the Russia investigation, which is like the biggest investigation in the last 20 years. But the biggest news is that the interim attorney general, Matthew Whitaker, Sessions' chief of staff. He is going to be taking control of the Mueller probe, okay? So Rosenstein is out as far as the Mueller probe. It should be under the jurisdiction of the AG, except that Sessions recused himself. Now, Matthew Whitaker, fascinating story here, because he he wrote an op-ed before he ever joined the DOJ. He wrote an op-ed on CNN, of all places, defending Trump against Mueller, talking about how Mueller, the scope of his investigation has gotten way, way, way out of hand, way beyond what it it ever should have been as far as Trump campaign, Russia collusion, etc. And if you look at the timing here... This is fascinating because Matthew Whitaker writes this op-ed in August of 2017, and then he's appointed to work for Jeff Sessions in October 2017. Now, dare I wonder if this was really all strategized to begin with, if Trump knew hiring him, hey, let's hire a guy, great credentials, who actually is the defender of Trump against Mueller, and he eventually takes over for Jeff Sessions, which was the plan. We've known this for a long time, that Sessions would be stepping down or would be forced out after the November midterms. And we're going to get to the midterms too, by the way, you know, the post-mortem analysis here coming up. But here are some excerpts from Matthew Whitaker's op-ed. And this is huge because this could completely shift the direction of Mueller. Here's quote, here's the quote, it does not take a lawyer or even a former prosecutor like myself to conclude that investigating Trump's finances or his family's finances falls completely outside the realm of his 2016 campaign and allegations the campaign coordinated with Russia. That goes beyond the scope of the appointment of the special counsel. It's time for Rosenstein uh, to order Mueller to limit the scope of his investigation to the four corners of the order appointing him special counsel. If he doesn't, Mueller's investigation will eventually start to look like a political fishing expedition This would not only be out of character for a respected figure like Mueller, but also could be damaging to the president and his family and by extension to the country. So that's exactly the guy that you want taking charge of the Mueller probe. We're going to keep an eye on that. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She was uh, uh, elected, basically ran unopposed, the youngest female to ever hold a seat in Congress. I believe she's 29 and Uh, She was asked, how are you expecting to pay for your Medicare for all plan that, of course, she supports along with Bernie Sanders. And she said she's puzzled by the question. She finds the question puzzling when they ask her, how are you going to pay for Medicare for all? Here's the quote. People often say, like, how are you going to pay for it? And I find the question so puzzling because how do you pay for something that's more affordable? How do you pay for cheaper rent? You just pay for it. We're paying more now. So she finds it puzzling that everybody's asking. The estimates, the conservative estimates, are $36 trillion over 10 years. This thing is going to be gargantuan. It's a monstrosity. It will literally take over uh, the entire federal budget. And yet Ocasio Cortez doesn't even understand what anybody's making a big deal out of. All right, Ruth. Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court justice, actually took a fall on Wednesday night and she fractured three ribs. She is hospitalized and we're going to keep an eye on that. Now, if you compare these midterms to past midterms to Obama, Clinton, and that's what part of what Trump discussed in his press conference, not that anybody remembers that part. uh, uh, Trump did far better in terms of uh, the House numbers, the congressional seats lost, as opposed to Obama and Clinton. Now, I know the, the Republicans lost the House, and at this point, I believe it's 37 seats. The Democrats had a gain of 37 seats. They were 23 behind, so I guess that means they're now 14 ahead, but Obama actually lost 63 seats. You remember the Tea Party movement. Clinton lost 54 seats. You remember Newt Gingrich and the contract with America. At least some of you may remember that. That was 1994, and historically, we told you this. Trump was bound to lose any polarizing figure. Like Obama, and yes, Trump, he's a polarizing figure that, unlike Obama, I actually uh, uh, agree with. But any time that happens, there's going to be backlash in the midterms. That's a given. If you look historically, it's happened with virtually every president, except very rare exceptions where there's a a wartime leader or hero or something like that. Now, uh, all right, so here's the deal. This midterm was in no way a referendum on Trump. And the proof is very simple. The Republicans hold now 53, 54 seats in the Senate. I don't remember the last count. John John Tester did win his seat. Arizona, I think, is still too close to call. But either way, the Republicans gained seats in the Senate. Many, many candidates that Trump uh, campaigned for won their seats. And uh, many candidates, by the way, who refused uh, Trump's help. Trump offered to campaign for some Republicans, and they said, Thanks, but no thanks. Trump called them out by name at his press conference and said, "Well, you, sorry, all right, didn't. I wish I could have helped you. Too bad." And uh, you know, a lot of them did not win. So, and and look at all the governors' races. You know, look at Florida. Uh, looks like George is going to be Republican. Still not clear. And a bunch of other races where the Republicans who who were supported by Trump did win. So there's no way the country made some kind of statement or referendum saying, we're upset about Trump's policies. That's very clear. This was bound to happen. If you look at the numbers, so many Republicans in the House were stepping down, and uh, those seats had to be filled. So the law of averages says some of them will be replaced by Republicans, others by Democrats. And it really pretty much almost fell in the middle. Maybe slight, slight edge to the Democrats. There could be countless reasons. Maybe people are upset that Congress got nothing done. Congress has these paltry approval ratings. Maybe people were upset illegal immigration is still very out of control. Despite all of Trump's best, best efforts, he's limited without congressional help. Maybe people are upset that Congress simply got nothing passed other than Uh, The tax cuts, you know, and yes, the House, they they finally passed a version of repeal and replace, but then it died in the Senate. So you're not exactly going to give your local congressman a lot of credit. Maybe people voted for Congress, you know, based on who they liked better. You know, some people are not so partisan and it's not about Trump. It's not about Republican Democrat. They just like the person. So they're going to vote the person in. There could be a million factors. The point is, it's not a referendum. Now, as far as how is this going to affect the future? Great question. You know, as many of you pointed out, a lot of you were very positive and said that this whole election was a big win for Trump. A lot of Democrats, very disappointed. A lot of Republicans and listeners who left me voicemails are very, very ecstatic. And here's why. Because the House did nothing, as I mentioned before. Now, the Senate's very important because all these judiciary nominees that are getting pushed through the Senate these Republican conservative judges all around the country. You know, Trump is loading up the courts with conservative Republican-leaning judges. That's a very big deal. They need the Senate for that. And McConnell now has even more Republicans on the Senate to help with that. And you saw that, by the way, because the the people like Manchin who voted for Kavanaugh, who confirmed Kavanaugh got elected, those Democrats, whereas uh, the ones who did not, Heidi Heitkamp and others who did not confirm, who voted against Kavanaugh, they were shoved out because Trump supporters simply had no interest in them even though these are democrat voters. So very fascinating here the Senate is much practically speaking is much more important whereas the House look if they want to get bills passed they need the House the House is in charge of the budget but that was either way you know they were they were they were they were siding with the democrat they were partnering with the democrats joining up with them Paul Ryan and the Republicans. So yeah this is going to affect spending there's no question about it but overall What has the House gotten done? Absolutely nothing. Now, there's another positive, believe it or not, to the Democrats running the House. They now have the next two years to run a total circus. You know, Nancy Pelosi in charge. There's going to be a lot of discord because there are radicals who feel that Pelosi is too soft on Trump, isn't pushing for impeachment. Meanwhile, you know, they're going to they're going to investigate Trump as we told you. They're going to throw every possible subpoena they have at him. And how do you think the public is going to respond? They don't want that. The last thing they want is more divisiveness. These Democrats Adam Schiff, and so many other radicals who are just itching to subpoena Trump, get him, get get his staffers to testify, and eventually impeach him. Well, what do you think that's going to do in 2020? I believe, and many of you also told me this, that uh, all that's going to do is benefit Trump and the Republicans. So this could actually be the, be the best case scenario. If the Republicans had still been in charge, maybe the Democrats don't have the ability to do so much damage to themselves. Now, maybe they'll get their act together. Maybe they'll be smart. You know, but I'm quite skeptical about that. All right, let's get back to Trump's uh, press conference. First, I'll tell you the transcript before I go through a lot of the other stuff he discussed. The transcript with Acosta. Jim Acosta starts off, quote, I want to challenge you on comments you made that this caravan was an invasion. So right there, look how he starts. I want to challenge you. What's he doing? He's trying to trigger Trump. He's trying to evoke a response where Trump attacks him and Trump looks like a bad guy. This is so clearly planned out. And then he's talking about the caravan being called an invasion. An invasion. So Trump says, Well, I consider it to be an invasion. And Acosta says, it's not an invasion. It's a group of migrants moving up from Central America towards the border. So they're debating whether or not it's an invasion. Now, Trump did a phenomenal job. He gave Acosta, if anything, he gave him too many answers. He gave him too much of a forum to hit to Trump's credit. You know, and then uh, you know, he says, Why do you characterize it as an invasion? Trump says I consider it an invasion. You and I have a difference of opinion, and that's the answer. You know. And by the way, it is an invasion. You know. Acosta was saying, "How do you know what they are going to do? You know, who says that they are going to come across? Who says they're going to invade?" And the answer is very simple, by the way, because they did. That's exactly what they did at the Mexican border. They were actually stopped by authorities, and they swam across the water to the other side. What more invasion is there than sneaking into a country in the middle of the night illegally? So they are invaders, you know, but that offends Acosta because you can't say that minorities are invaders. But either way, it's a difference of opinion. Back to the transcript, quote, Acosta, do you think you demonized immigrants in this election? Unbelievable, outrageous, you know, so Trump says, no, not at all. I want them to come into this country, but they have to come in legally. He says, they have to come in through a process. I want it to be a process. And then Trump says, I want them here. We need the people here. And he says, we need the people here because there are so many jobs available. We need them here, but they have to go through the process. So again, giving a very, very good answer to Acosta's bogus, gotcha question. And that bothers me, by the way. All these reporters, they don't actually want the fact. They have so much access to Trump if they wanted to. They could ask questions. He'll just go on and on. They don't even have to ask a a complicated question. But instead, what do they do? They try to catch him they try they want to trip him up they want to get him to say something that he's going to regret not that he ever regrets anything he says they want to get him to say something divisive you know they want to get him to say something controversial and they want all the attention if they ask a gotcha question it may get reported as a soundbite that night in the news so that's what this is about it's about their ego the last thing it's about is actually benefiting the country in fact it's the worst thing for the country back to the transcript Acosta Your campaign had an ad showing migrants climbing over walls. Trump says that's true. They weren't actors. Acosta says they're not going to do that. Trump says, well, it was true. Do you think they were actors? They didn't come from Hollywood. This was an actual thing that happened a few days ago. Acosta says, but they're hundreds of miles away from the border. That's not an invasion. So here's what Trump says. He says, I think you should let me run the country and you run CNN. And if you did it well, your ratings would be much better. (laughs) <laughs> now Acosta says, I want to ask another question. And Trump says, that's enough. And he keeps going. And Trump calls on another reporter. And Acosta says, I want another question. And he gets the other question. He asks him if he's worried about indictments of the Russia collusion probe. And Trump says, I'm not concerned about anything because the investigation is a hoax. And then Trump says, put down the mic. And then Acosta keeps going. And Trump says, stop it already. Enough is enough. you know. And that by the way, he didn't say stop it. I'm paraphrasing there. And then he says, quote, CNN should be ashamed of itself for having you working for them. You're a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN. The way you treat Sarah Huckabee is horrible. The way you treat other people is horrible. You shouldn't treat people that way. And, you know, it goes on and on. And meanwhile, by the way, uh, the next reporter who gets called on says, well, uh, Mr. President, I actually want to defend Jim Acosta because I know him and he's a very good man. And Trump says, well, I'm not a big fan of yours either. I mean, I kid you not. This was an unbelievable press conference. But again, Jim Acosta is totally out of line and the whole media is sitting there watching. They should be cringing. Instead, they're defending him. They team up because if, if you're an enemy of Trump, then you're a friend of theirs. It's as simple as that. All right, some other things, very important details in this press conference. As I told you, now Trump c- compared himself to previous presidents like Obama in the midterms. Trump also uh, said to the media, he said, you treat me so unfairly. He said, if Obama had the economy that I have... The media would be discussing it day and night. He says, I don't want you to overlook my, when I make mistakes, report my mistakes, but report the positive too. And he could have added the fact that there's like a 92% negativity rating. The, the mainstream media, 92% of their reporting on Trump is negative, which is just an astonishing number. But he's totally right. They would report it for, for, for weeks on end under Obama. You know, So he says, just treat me fairly. He also talked about bipartisanship with the Democrats and with Pelosi and working with them on bills, including an infrastructure bill. And he says he's going to try to come up with bills that they negotiate. Democrats and Republicans can both be happy with. I actually thought he was a little bit naive sounding there. He thinks the Democrats are going to make concessions to him on on things like immigration. And that's really, really hard to believe. He also thinks the Democrats are not going to investigate him. He said if they investigate him, then all deals are off. And it, it does seem like the Democrats are going to do a lot of investigating. Another very interesting exchange, Uh, there was a a black woman reporter from PBS, and she asked him, she said, um, she said, why did you say that you're a nationalist? Why did you talk about nationalism in the campaign? And Trump said, because I'm a nationalist. And she said, well, people associate that with white nationalism. And Trump said, that's a racist thing to say. And he was very, very uh, disappointed, he said, "How can you be so? How can you say make such a racist comment saying white nationalism?" He said, "There is nationalists and there is globalists. It's a political philosophy. It has nothing to do with skin color or race." And again, another excellent point. You know, Trump's answers in this uh, long press conference they were spot on, one after the next. You know, by the way, some of these reporters again ask these silly, silly questions. They're trying to have a gotcha moment. Somebody said to him, well, you think that Mueller's damaging the country, right? Yes. Well, why don't you fire him if he's damaging the country? Why doesn't Trump fire Mueller? Right. Great, great, great question. He also said that he did the country a great service by retiring Jeff Flake. All right, that's going to do it for this exciting Thursday, and we will see you next time.